Okay, um, we're going to jump into uh, a new series today, and I use the word new loosely uh, because it's not new. This is a um, gently used series, maybe pre-owned. Um, we actually are actually actually taught through this about five years ago. Um, so those of you who've been around for that long may kind of catch on to some of the stuff uh, that we're going to talk about. But I, I was actually encouraged by a couple of the staff members, Josh being one of them, to go back and redo this. So I've updated it. Um, we can call this Follow, Believe, Obey 2.0 or the second edition, whatever you want to call it. But um, that's where we're going to go over the next three weeks, okay? And I want to start here. Like many of you, um, I got into a show called The Mandalorian about two years ago. Um, and if you don't know what The Mandalorian is, if you haven't seen it, I guarantee you've seen this guy. Okay? You've seen him on your social media feed. Uh, maybe your kids have asked for you to buy one of these in the toy aisle um, at Target or whatever. Um, and again, if you're looking at that, you're going, what is Gremlins coming back? Is that baby Yoda? Right? Don't call him that or all the Star Wars super fans will leave our church. That's not baby Yoda. His name's Grogu. Okay, and, and, and The Mandalorian is a show about a bounty hunter from the planet Mandalore. And the thing that has caught my attention about this show is that Mandalorians have a code of ethics. They have this tradition. They have this way of life that they've committed themselves to. And they've committed to it so much, no matter how counterintuitive it is, no matter how counterproductive it is, no matter how countercultural it is. They have committed to living their life in such a way. And they even have this phrase. Now, this phrase that they say back to each other to remind each other of this code. It, it, they, they say it to remind them before they make a big decision. They say it um, sometimes to call someone who's not living up to the code to the code. The phrase is this. This is the way. And the Mandalorian they're talking to, because it only works between Mandalorians, the other Mandalorian will look at the Mandalorian who said that, and they will say back to them, this is the way. This is the way. Now, it's not just for Mandalorians, okay? You have a way at your place of employment, right? There's just a way that it happens. There's a way that your workplace culture works. This is, they don't say this is the way, but that's the way. Um, those of you who have children, you do not care what your children's friends' parents do, do you? Because in our house, this is the way. Teachers, educators, you have a way in your school, in your classroom, on your team, that other schools, classrooms, and teams don't. You don't say it this way, or maybe you do. This is the way in my classroom. This is the way on our team. This is the way in our school. We, we know all about the way. It's, it's a, it's a, we're committed to this. This is, what, this is what guides our living. This is the best way. It might not be the most popular. We might be the only ones doing it like this. But this is how we do things as Mandalorians, as parents, as teachers, as bosses, as employees. This is the way. So, to kick off this series, and um, it's not that difficult to figure out what we're going to talk about over the next three weeks, okay? To kick off this series, um, I want us to explore what it means 
uh, what it looks like, maybe what it feels like to live in the way of Jesus because before Jesus asked anybody to believe anything, before he asked anybody to obey anything, Jesus initially asked, our word for the day, people to follow him. To follow him. To, to, to take on his way. To live like him. To, 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 to approach life in the way that he taught. My goal for today is to kind of take us back to our first century roots and, and recapture a little bit of what it looks like to walk or to live in the way of Jesus. And, and part of it is because there's this, there's this tension in our world today, in 2,000 years later, right? And if you've been around church for any length of time, this won't be new to you. The tension is this. You can claim Christianity and not follow the way of Jesus. Like, you can, you can believe that Jesus died and rose again. You can believe that he did that for you personally. You can get baptized. You can, you can read your Bible. You can believe all the right things and not follow the way of Jesus. That is possible. The, the interesting thing is that that tension, actually, it's not, it's not completely new. Um, the first century believers, like this is so clarifying for me. The first century believers didn't call themselves Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. That, that was, that they, they were called that by people outside of the faith, right? In fact, the, 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 historically, the word Christian hasn't have, doesn't have any religious connotations. It was a political term. It was this group of people who believed in this resurrected Messiah started to get so big and grow so much throughout the Roman Empire that people outside decided to call them Christians or those who belong to the party of Jesus. That's what it meant. The word Christian is used three times in the New Testament. Every single time, it has a negative connotation. Every single time. No, the, the, the first century believers, you know what they call themselves? Followers of the way. Followers of the way. All throughout Acts, when the church blows up and starts spreading all over the world, that's what they call themselves. In fact, let me, let me show you just one, one part. Um, in Acts 24, Paul is arrested. The Apostle Paul wrote over half of the New Testament. He's arrested. He's before the high priest, the chief priests, and uh, Governor Felix, who is kind of put in place by Rome to rule Judea and keep the peace and make sure... Um, everything's going right. And they accuse him of all kinds of things. And Paul, in, in that conversation, in that trial, he says, yeah, I haven't done any of that. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. There it is. So follower of the way. If I'm guilty of anything, I'm guilty of being a follower of the way. That's what they called themselves, how they identified themselves all throughout the book of Acts. And, and that Greek phrase, the way, it literally means a, a teaching in the most comprehensive sense. It, it literally means a whole way of life, a whole way of living. So, so don't miss this, okay? For the early Christians, <laughs> following Jesus was not a set of beliefs that got you to heaven. It was a whole new way of living. It impacted everything you did, everything you thought, 
everything you believed. It, it, it impacted every area of life in this life on earth. To follow the way was to commit to doing life defined and depicted by Jesus, who invited them to establish his kingdom values here and now. I mean, what, what did he teach them to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Your little patch of dirt and your house, your family, your relationship on earth as it is in heaven. It was a way of, of being. It was a way of doing, of serving, of loving, of becoming here and now. And, and, and maybe you don't see this from your seat, but I see it from mine. <laughs> if we take an honest inventory today, the idea of following Jesus has, be, has been reduced to a belief statement instead of a, this is how I live statement. It's been reduced to attending church a few times a month at best. And if I miss, I'll catch up on the podcast. And I'll dabble with the Bible. Don't ask me to do anything hard. Like, love my enemy? Pray for those who persecute me? Like, I get persecuted by my boss every single day. I'm supposed to pray for him? All those things, the, the, the reading the scriptures, the going to church, all of those things is, is, is not the end. They're a means to an end. And the end is to help us be better followers of Jesus. So if that's not challenging enough, put your seatbelt on, okay? Let me bring this tension to life for us in a way that hopefully makes sense because I think we, I think we can identify this. You can be convinced of something but not committed to it. You can be convinced of something, not committed to it. Like all of us in this room and watching online, we're all convinced that eating healthy is good for us. But Chick-fil-A is gooder. <laughs> right? Ribs are better. They just are. All of us are convinced that flossing is good for you. And then you go into your six-month checkup and you're a little nervous because your gums are about to get shredded. <laughs> you are. Like, we're all convinced that eight hours of sleep is a good thing. We are. But we watch Netflix so long, it asks you if you're still watching. <laughs> right? Nervous laughter. We're all... We're, we're all convinced that budgeting and, you know, no frivolous spending is good, right? And then Amazon Prime Day comes, and we're looking for something to need. We, we, could, we could be convinced of things and not committed to them. And this, this is the reality of the American church. We're convinced. We're just not committed. We're convinced that Jesus is the only way. We're convinced that he died and rose again. We're not, we're just, we're not committed. To, I'm telling you, that would have been such a foreign concept to the first century Jesus followers. It would have been alien to them. In fact, it's an alien concept to a lot of Jesus followers outside of America today. Following Jesus is not less than belief but it is certainly more. It is certainly more. If we're going to take the life, death, resurrection, and teachings of Jesus seriously, it is certainly more than just believing the right things. It's why his invitation to his first followers was not, believe in me, 
accept me into your heart. Never said that. He said, come, follow me. So you've seen this before, but Matthew uh, chapter four is where we're going to start. Um, you, you, this is the, the calling of the first disciples, right? And so we're going to look at the calling of the first disciples. And then I want to explain a little bit of the Jewish educational system. That was the context in which Jesus did this and in which the disciples heard what Jesus said. Okay. So Matthew chapter four, starting in verse 18 says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. That's what their job was. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Jesus doesn't ask them to believe in a set of ideals or theological principles. He asked them to follow. And in order for them to do that, they had to leave something behind. They left their profession. They left their nets. They left their life and followed him. It changed something beyond their mental belief. It changed something in them. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. James and John left behind the family business. They left behind their family like Josh and Jacqueline did when they moved here 10 years ago. They left behind their family and followed. Jesus does the same thing with Matthew in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew's doing his job. He's sitting at a tax collector's booth. And these good Jewish boys, whenever Jesus asked Matthew to follow him, they're like, Jesus, are you sure? He's, <laughs> he's not just a sinner. He's a tax collector. But Jesus invited Matthew, come, follow me. See, we know Jesus as Messiah. We know him as Christ, the risen Savior, which he is. But when he stepped onto the pages of history, his title was different. He was a rabbi, just Hebrew for teacher. He was a rabbi. And when Jesus invited these guys to follow him, he, he wasn't inviting them to follow him like a, a, a duckling follows the mom. He was inviting them to be a disciple. Maybe a better word might be student. A student of Jesus, just like rabbis before him, just like his contemporaries. Every rabbi had students that they were in charge of teaching. Okay, And so to fully understand that rabbi-student relationship and the implications for, for us, we need to go back and we need to think about the Jewish educational system back in that day, okay? So um, the Jewish educational system had three tiers. The first one was called Bet, Bet Sefer. This is house of the book. This is for kids six to 10. And they would go to the local uh, synagogue where they would, you know, they'd be taught reading, writing, arithmetic. Um, and they would memorize Genesis through Deuteronomy. Six to ten-year-olds. Little different than baby shark. Do, 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 right? <laughs> Genesis through Deuteronomy, right? And then... After Bethsifer, most of them would go home and take on the family trade. What were Peter and James and John doing? Family trade. They didn't make it to the next level. If your dad was a fisherman, you'd go be a fisherman. If your dad was in construction, you'd go do construction. But the students that showed promise, 
Students at the top of the class, they'd go on to Bet Talmud. That's house of learning. This was for um, Jewish boys. Girls couldn't go on. Girls would go home and they would learn how to be a mom and a wife. This is Jewish boys 10 to 14. They already had the Torah memorized, or they already had the Pentateuch memorized. So they'd go on to Joshua through Malachi. They'd memorize most, if not all of it. And then they would learn the art of answering a question with answering a question. Do you see Jesus doing that over and over and over again? My kids and my wife find me doing that over and over again. And it doesn't have the same effect as Jesus. (laughs) Right? Like you see over, you see Jesus when he's 12. Where do his parents find him? Yeah. And and, and he's having this, this really deep conversation and he's asking questions. Jesus made it to Bet Talmud. Then the best of the best, the one percenters, the Harvard boys, they go on to Bet Midrash. That's house of study. This is for ages 15 and up. At this level, they get the opportunity to, to, to study with a rabbi. And the rabbi would grill them about Torah, about the, the, the law, the prophets, deciding whether they knew enough and had enough potential to be a rabbi themselves one day. And if a rabbi found them to have the potential, just like Jesus, they would say to their student, come, follow me. Come, follow me. Come and learn from me. And only a select few would get to do this, and they literally followed their rabbi. And I know a student is is a better word, at least modern word than than disciple, but there's actually an even better word. The The most comprehensive word, the most comprehensive idea for disciple, what's actually happening is, is apprentice. It's an apprentice. Um, this is, this is the, these boys are invited to, to follow this, this rabbi. The best word to describe their, that relationship is apprentice. They're, they're trying to learn to be like their teacher. Because we all know this. An apprentice is one step beyond a student. Like when you went to college and, and you took accounting, in that class you were a student of accounting you were not an apprentice of your accounting professor. There's, there's a difference between those two things. A student can learn for knowledge's sake. An apprentice learns for doing's sake. For doing, for thinking, for being, just like their teacher does, thinks, and is. It's the ultimate goal. It was the ultimate goal of an apprentice of a rabbi, to, to be like them in every conceivable way. They were with them 24-7. They, they, they ate with them. They walked wherever they walked. They soaked up everything about them, even to the point where if, if a rabbi would walk with a limp, their healthy apprentices would walk with a limp. Everything about them. In fact, there's, there's a common blessing that young apprentices would hear from other people. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. No paved roads back then. So they're following so closely to their rabbi that that may you follow so close that at the end of the day, you followed so close that the dust that your rabbi has kicked up on those roads covers you. It was within that educational context that Jesus said to those boys, they were not men in in the way that we think about them. Those boys who didn't make the cut, 
They didn't make, they, they weren't good enough for Bet Talmud. That's why they're home working the family business. And Jesus, a rabbi, comes to these boys who didn't make the cut. Says, come, follow me. I, I, I know you didn't make the cut. I know you don't feel like you're good enough. I know that they said you couldn't do the next level. I'm telling you, you can. Come, follow me. And, and while our culture is different, the invitation and the goal has not changed. It has not changed. Jesus doesn't initially invite you to believe something. He first invites you to follow. Following Jesus is to order your life around the way of Jesus. Every corner, every area, everything about you, every relationship, every nook and cranny, your whole way of living around the way of Jesus. That's what follow me means. And then, Right after Matthew 4, where Jesus invites the, the, the first disciples to follow him, what comes after Matthew 4? Okay, not a trick question. Matthew 5 actually comes after Matthew 4, right? But in Matthew 5, what starts? Sermon on the Mount, right? Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' most comprehensive teaching for what life looks like in his kingdom. It's the most comprehensive teaching of the way that he came to model and his followers to live out. He taught them the best way to be human in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which means before Jesus ever taught them that I am the way, he taught them the way to live his life. Dallas Willard, brilliant philosopher, theologian, thinker, he wrote this. He says, many people think of Jesus as our savior, which he is. He's not saying he's not. As the one who will get us into heaven, he certainly will. So the question often is, have I accepted Jesus as my Savior? Not a bad question. But he goes on to say, but we've never asked the question, have I accepted Jesus as my teacher? And that's the real question. With the disciples, it began there. They began by accepting him as their teacher and then accepting him as their savior, which included, of course, their eternal destiny was a natural outflow of that. But they started with Jesus as their teacher because we all have to learn how to live. We all have to learn the way of Jesus. So Jesus invites his first followers to follow him as their rabbi, and the first thing he did with them was sit down on a mountainside, which is what rabbis did when they taught, they sat down. He sat down on a mountainside and he began to teach them about his way. What does Jesus say over and over? You've heard it said. You've heard other rabbis teach. But I say, this is my way. This is my interpretation. This is how I want you to live. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. Just go read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way of Jesus. And toward the end of the message... He's landing the plane, right? Uh, the band comes out. Peter's tinkling on the piano, kind of soft behind the background, right? And Jesus makes it clear <laughs> that what he just taught in Matthew 5, 6, and most of chapter 7 isn't just a way. He says, this is the way. This is the way to experience the kind of life you actually want. He's, and he's a master teacher. He closes 
with three consecutive images that just drive home his point. Here He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to enter through the narrow gate. Oh, wait, what does that have to do with what you just said? He goes on, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Enter through the narrow gate is Jesus' invitation to the people on the mountainside that day to follow him. The, the Greek word for road in this section is the same word that Paul uses for way in Acts 24. It's the exact same word. So he says, enter through the narrow gate. That's like saying, come, follow me. But the way that you follow me is through the narrow gate. Order your life around everything that I've just taught you through the narrow gate. Because he's, he's saying there's, there's two ways that you can live your life. There's two paths that you can follow. There's, there's the wide gate, there's the broad road, and it, it will be more popular. <laughs> it'll be easier. It'll be more comfortable. It'll look more convenient. And there will be way more traffic on that road. But I'm just telling you, that wide gate... That broad road, it just, it leads to destruction. And that, that's not a threat. Jesus was just saying, this is how life works. A better translation for destruction is ruin. You're going to ruin yourself. You're going to have regret. You're going to have relational pain. You're going to have a lack of purpose, a lack of fulfillment. And many people are going to find that road because it's easy to find. Jesus says there's a better way. And yes, the gate's small. It's narrow. The way is narrow. And few will find it, not because it's not available. Not because it's hard to find, but because it's just harder. It's, it's, it's just harder. It, it'll be the road less traveled because it's not easy. But I'm telling you, on that narrow road is the way to life. It's, it's the way to, to not just you know, life in eternity, but eternal life here and now. The kind of life that, that, that's, that's marked by peace and love and deep-seated joy and, and hope and self-control that keeps you away from regret and hope and purpose and contentment and fulfillment. All the stuff that we want all the stuff when you're laying in bed at night and you're just staring up at the ceiling, it's like, that's what I want. Jesus says the way to that is through the narrow gate. And then he talks about two kinds of trees, one that produces good fruit, one that produces bad. Then he talks about two foundations. You've heard that story before. You probably even know a song about it. One that was built on sand, one house that was built on the rock, all of that. All of that was Jesus' way of teaching that we don't get the full life he promised by simply believing. It's by following his way. And yes, just like the Mandalorian, sometimes it seems countercultural, counterintuitive, and counterproductive. <laughs> if you've been following Jesus for longer than two minutes... Sometimes it, you order your life around his life and everything you do, you submit your desires to his will, and it always feels countercultural. It, it almost always feels counterintuitive. And sometimes 
it feels like you're taking seven steps backwards. Love my enemies? <laughs> Pray for those who persecute me? Turn the other cheek? What? Not a whole lot of people doing that. It's because it's the narrow gate. It's much easier to get revenge. It's much easier to curse your enemies. That's the, that's the broad road, and it leads to ruin. It's hard, but Jesus is clear. That's the way to life. Enter through the narrow gate. Come, follow me. So here's the application for today. And it, it, it sounds so simple, and I know like you're going to walk out of this place and you're going to be like, how do I do that? Here's, here's the application for today. I want you to start where you are, not where you think you should be. Start where you are, not where you think you should be. Because see, in a, in a room this size, in a church our size, there are people at a number of places. And yes, they all start with C because I'm a preacher, okay? Maybe you're curious. Maybe you're curious. You're not sure what you do or you don't believe about Jesus, but you're curious. Some of you, you're convinced. You're convinced about who he is. You're convinced about what he does. And there's still some areas you're holding back. And then others are, you're committed to the way of Jesus and you want to continue in that way. Wherever you are on that spectrum, start where you are, not where you think you should be. Start where you are. Jesus started with the boys who were fishing. Jesus started with Matthew, the traitor, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And what did he tell Matthew? What's the first thing Jesus said to Matthew? Matthew, hey, let's go to your house. Let's go someplace you're comfortable with. And hey, invite all your worst and sinful buddies. Let's have a party. Start where you are, not where you think you should be. And then number two, if you're curious, stay curious. Stay curious. Uh, maybe you need to go home this week and you need to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And you just need to figure out, what is Jesus' way? Well, that's Jesus' way, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Maybe you want to read about the life of Jesus. Um, go read Mark. Mark's the shortest gospel. Cheat code. There you go. Shortest gospel. <clears throat> For some of you, maybe somebody invited you to church and there's a question that you've been wanting to ask about the Bible, about Jesus, about God, about something to have to do with, with, with followers of the way. I think you should ask them that question on the way to lunch today. See what they say. Some of you just got real nervous. Some of you, I, I, I tell people this often. Some of you put into practice something that Jesus taught even if you don't believe it and see what kind of fruit comes about in your life. Just, just apply it in your life and see what happens. But stay curious if you're curious. Number two, if you're in that convinced category, maybe even if you're in that committed category, we never stop learning, we never stop following. So my encouragement to you this week is this. Figure out a way to get dusty. Figure out a way to get dusty. Come on, come on, come on. 
Where are you not following? What arena in your life are you not following? You're, you're holding that thing back. It's off limits. And you're like, I know God. I know God. I know Jesus. I know, I know, I know. But this is mine, my precious. What area in your life are you not following? What part of your followership has, it's just become cultural Christianity. It's cliche. Is it, do you need to pull the plank out of your own eye instead of turning your nose up at the speck in theirs? Is it, is it, is it you getting better at living a life of self-sacrifice where your desires take a back seat for the benefit of others? Is it, is it the area of your money? You storing up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy? Do you need to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you? Do you need to turn the other cheek? Where do you need to get dusty? And to be clear, believing in Jesus' name is how you become a Christian. I am not saying that you need to do all of these things in order to earn a right standing with God. That's not how it works. But this is also true. Following in Jesus' way is how you be a Christian. Another way to say it, salvation is free. It doesn't cost you anything. Following Jesus will cost you something. So do I want you to believe? Yeah, we'll get to that next week. Do you have to do anything else to earn a right standing with God? No. I just don't want you to be fooled into believing that belief is all there is. I, even more than that, I don't want to be a part of a church full of people who are just believers. I want to be a part of a church full of followers who experience the full measure of life that Jesus came to give us. I, I want to be a church full of followers that actually make a difference in this world because of how they live, not just because of what they believe. And yeah, I want us to be counter-cultural. I want us to live counterintuitive and, and sometimes counterproductive lives. I don't want us to be believers that treat earth like a waiting room for heaven but followers who show the world what heaven will look and feel like right now. Come on. Don't you? And if you don't, what are we doing? <laughs> if you claim the name of Jesus and you look around and there's a whole bunch of people traveling on the same road as you are, you're doing it wrong you're on the wrong road. And I'm telling you, it leads to ruin. <laughs> it leads to ruin. And so for the next, next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what it looks like to believe, what it looks like to obey, all of those things. But today, just start where you are. Not where you think you should be. And then I want you to figure out, okay, do I need to stay curious do I need to ask some questions? Do I, do I need to put my curiosity into action? Or do I need to figure out how to get dusty? Do I need to be following so closely that the dust of my rabbi is all over me? Stay curious or get dusty. There's your homework. Let me pray for us.
and we'll get out of here. Father in heaven, this is so much easier for me to stand up here and say than it is for me to walk out these doors and do. But I believe, and I know there are so many others that believe right here, right now, that you give us the strength, you give us the power through your spirit to do these things. So, Father, for those who want to run out of this room and, and, and we want to drum up all of this kind of, of energy to make this happen, God, I pray that you, would, that you would whisper to them that your yoke is easy. Your way of living is easy. And you've called them to this. You've gifted, you've blessed, you've put people around them to help them with this. God, for those of, who, who aren't even thinking about walking out of here and either staying curious or getting dusty, I pray that you would whisper and encourage them that that's the way to life. And for all of us, that we would simply answer your call to come and follow you. Whatever that looks like. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of the first followers, for the followers all throughout the last 2,000 years of history and the things that we can learn from them. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to what you have for us. And then we will believe and we'll obey. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So next week is believe. I hope you come back and join us for that. I want to draw your attention to, to one last thing as you leave. Uh, we have a very special lady who's celebrating her 90th birthday today. So Marilyn Coleman is going to be out in uh, the lobby. And for those of you who know Marilyn, I'd love for you to go and say happy birthday to her. Give her a squeeze around the neck. She's been coming to Grace Point since 1988. I was 10. I was not the pastor, but I was 10 in 1988. So tell, tell Marilyn happy birthday as you leave. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. You're dismissed.